0: Welcome to the Goal Crazy Podcast. We explore what it takes to reach your crazy goals. I'm your host, Jason Vanderveer, and together we're going to learn to take life to the next level in Goal Crazy. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the next episode of the Goal Crazy Podcast. Today I'm excited to have with us Keith Ott. He's a really inspiring entrepreneur. He's the owner of Four Marinas here in the Ohio area. Keith, how are you today?
1: <laughs> I'm great, Jason. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, you've been in the boat is- industry for how many years now? Have you been around boats, around the water, around
1: marinas? 35 years. Jeez, it's hard to imagine.
0: Wow, 35 years. So when you got started,
1: how old were you? I was 16 years old. This started as a. It was just going to be a summertime job, mm-hmm. and I guess I my first job technically before this was a busboy to chicken dinner restaurant, and oh, I didn't. Okay. That wasn't working for me like I had hoped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so i real i grew up water skiing and it was an important part of our life one of seven kids and it's something that Great we fun. did uh, every weekend without fail all summer long and and so i just love being around the water and i asked the local marina if they'd take me on and uh, so they hired me just to work the gas dock and and wash boats and that kind of thing oh mm-hmm. rentals. That and kind a of
0: gas thing. dock is that essentially like gas station for boats right
1: it is yeah so right. uh, you know Everybody pulling up in their boat, tie them up, fill up the gas tank. And uh, I still, it's funny because I, I, I heard a funny episode on a radio show one time that they were talking about the um, smells that you might experience that you like that most people would find repulsive. It was like the little talk mm. show thing in the morning. And uh, the smell for me would be the smell of the two cycle oil exhaust in the air from outboard engines going by. Like it just, <laughs> when I smell that, some people might be offended by it. And it takes me right back to being a 16 year old kid working the gas dock.
0: That's fun. Yeah. Other than the smell of gas, <laughs> what else do you feel like you really enjoyed about that job that uh, just kind of made you say, you know, I want to spend my life
1: around marinas? Sun, water, the positive attitude. everybody is having a great time. The energy of it is just fantastic. And, and working that gas stock, I mean, just that first summer at 16, just thinking this is something I want to do the rest of my life. Wow. And you know, I don't I didn't know at the time that it would turn into this. But 35 years later, I've never left the business. I've always been working in boating since then.
0: Hmm. Yeah, 35 years. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, now you're owner of Ohio Valley boats. Did you think then that like, you would become a marina owner? Or did you just know, you didn't really know what capacity wanted to be working with the marinas? You just wanted to stay in that industry?
1: As far as becoming owner, I think it evolved a little bit. I didn't see it as a possibility at sixteen. I I didn't. I wasn't thinking that far. At sixteen, I just wanted gas money. I think you know. As I was getting closer to graduating high school, of course, that's where you're determining what your next step is. That's where you're going to become a grown up. You know, are you going to college or what direction are you are you going to go? And I've always really just enjoyed taking something broken and making it work again. You know, Mm -hmm. whether it's mechanical or or whatever a system of some sort. So when I graduated high school, my boss asked me what I, what my plans were. And I said, well, I love doing this. I'd love to do this for the rest of my life. And he said, how about technician? I'll send you off to technical schools. You can get certifications. You know, you can work with the guys in the shop. They'll mentor you. So I did. I mean, I, I still, while I don't get to, we call it turning a wrench while I don't get to do that as often as I used to, if ever, it's still my own mental release where mm-hmm. I have a little mechanical project in a corner that I tinker on by myself. It's how I empty my head, you know, yeah. and get back into it. But it steamrolled from there. And then eventually, yeah. after maybe about eight or 10 years in the business I thought, gosh, I could probably own my own place someday, that might be great. So.
0: What do you think he saw in you that I mean, as a kid, right, he probably had tons of different kids come work at the, the pump there. What do you think he saw in you where it was like, you know, I'm willing to invest in this kid and help train him and get him growing in the business?
1: You know, maybe I'm sure it's a handful of things. I mean, one, to invest in someone like that, because he he paid for my education, essentially. And then owners after that that I'd worked for, you want to know that you're going to get a return on that. So he probably saw a mechanical ability in me. I was respectful of the other technicians in the shop that I worked with. I admired their experience and that they had the answers and solutions to things. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to pick that up. I was in it after just the first year of schooling that I had gone through and working in the shop. I could see that this was definitely going to be a career. And this is something yeah. that I was going to get a return on it as well. And maybe he likes seeing that too. So yeah, that, that yeah. may have been it.
0: Yeah, that hunger. It's like you can see that in a young person where they just want to learn, right? And it sounds like that's something you've continued to keep with you as you've just continued to grow and grow within that industry.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I remember years later, I was the general manager of a couple of boatyards on Lake mm-hmm. Erie. And I had a customer that had a, a 55-foot sport fish motor yacht that every year when he would bring it in for winter storage, we would do a significant amount of upgrades to it. And I always admired him. I had good rapport with him. And he made a comment to me one day. He said, you'll go by, this is a real compliment. He mm-hmm. said, you'll go by 1,000 people and then you'll say, there's one. And then you'll go by 1,000 people and you'll go, there's one. And what he's talking about is is the ambition that somebody has or the self drive to continue to achieve, to continue to improve themselves and and benefit the people around them. And I see that too. I mean, I, I even do that as I'm as I'm hiring staff. I'm fortunate to have a lot of great people working with me. But you talk about that where you'll go along and, and all of a sudden you spot somebody, you're like, This is somebody who could own this business someday take um, it over and operate it and, and, and take it even further than I have.
0: Yeah. And that's a good thing that you can see the ambition in somebody. Right? Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they really just love it. And they've, yeah, they got the drive. They have the hunger. Mm-hmm. All right. So kind of fill in the blanks between, uh, so you started working there, you paid for your education to become uh, a mechanic to work on these boats. Correct. And then, um, you know, I know you became a GM of boatyards, and then you know had your own stores, but, uh, what kind of came next? You, you worked in the kind of mechanical end of the boats for a few years and then kind of progressed from there.
1: Yeah, the thirty-five year evolution. So <laughs> you know, I started at the time we we referred to ourselves, um, I guess you would call us a yard guy, where we were washing boats, moving them around and helping the technicians. Our nickname for each other was the assistant barnacle boy. It was a fun job where you come into work and you just get a tan and you you have little responsibility, but it builds from there. Then you go to a technical school, work with the technicians as an assistant, and eventually you're somebody who is now solving. Dilemmas, you know, a broken boat comes in, and you're the one that finds out why, repairs it, and gets it back on the water. So it's a good, safe operator for for the boat owner. But at some point, you want to take it to another level. Maybe for your career is part of it. Another part of it is, as a technician, you're one boat at a time. But when you get to a point that you feel like you can mentor somebody or a group of people, now you become a service manager and you were able to work with a group of technicians to efficiently get as many boats in and out of the shop and back on the water as possible. Now you feel like your ability is more effective by working with a group of people and just accomplishing more repair and and more success for everyone involved. Was that Um, a
0: hard transition for you? I know uh, a lot of times, especially with somebody who's maybe very mechanical thinking, right? They like to focus on just the what's in front of them and kind of the interpersonal relationships of managing others is in what they enjoyed. Do you feel like that was a hard transition to move from you know, working on engines to then kind of working more on the team?
1: Surprisingly, it was. It's funny because when you get to that point, you go, okay, now I want to be in charge. Now I want to teach more people this and whatever. But I remember the boatyards that I operate on Lake Erie, I started there as a technician and it was only four months later they asked me to be service manager. Wow! And I was proud of it. I was excited about it. And I I wanted to do the best I could at it. But the interesting thing was, I had so many years as a technician, that's where you find it easier sometimes just to do it yourself and get it done (laughs) than to explain it to somebody. But nobody's growing if you're doing that, are they? And I remember my boss saying to me, hey, listen, you're the manager now, knock it off. You need to work with this group to help all of them get to that level that you were as a technician, because it benefits them. You're doing it for their good and the good of everyone involved. And that was a difficult transition to decide, okay, I'm not technical training anymore. I'm leadership training now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a whole new animal.
0: I like that, leadership training. Yes, wow. After four months, you moved into that role. So were you managing then people who had been there for a longer time than you, who were older than you, or were you just managing kind of the newer guys who started
1: after you, or both? Uh, both. So oh. uh, yeah, when I started at at this facility, it was one location. Um, it was about a 24-acre boatyard. In Sandusky and there were about six people working there at the time seven years later we had grown into two yards and I had 24 staff and uh, we'd grown it significantly and it was and and when I left it was at that point that I felt good that I had left my thumbprint on the place you know it was a little bit of a negative environment when I first started there And by the time I left, I think what was if you work in the marine industry that in the northern part of the United States, we have what's called a launch and a haul out season where we put the boats in the water and then we take them back out in the fall and put them away for the winter. And there are two potential bottlenecks in the business because it's a significant amount of work that has to happen uh, Mm -hmm. in about a six to eight week period. And you really need everything to be working very well, the equipment, the staff, everybody has to communicate well, whatever. There's potential for injury or accident or, or damage or things like that if if you're not really communicating well. And my first couple of years, we weren't communicating well. And that wasn't good enough for me. There were a lot of things we needed to do to resolve this. But when I left there, it was after we had taken all the boats out of the water. and I, And I had actually given my boss a six month notice. I told him in May, I'd be leaving in November, but I said, we're going to have a successful summer. Everybody's going to do well and I'll get all the boats out of the water and put them away nice and neat for the winter. And then I'll be on my way and we'll start training the next generation to come in here. That all out season to have 24 staff operating as smoothly as they did. It just, it put a smile on my face. Just, it was happening really with very little involvement from me at that point. And and that, that made me feel good about it. That I'm like, good, they're going to be fine. I don't need to be here anymore. and I'll be on my way to do something else.
0: Hmm, that's incredible, other than uh creating better communication processes, what else do you feel like led to that growth from six employees to then twenty four
1: so or was the, that one
0: of the driving main the main driving force?
1: You know the market was there for it from the beginning, mm-hmm. but the infrastructure was not for that facility so it's several years of identifying and this is what's neat about wintertime. In the northern half of the United States in the boating businesses, we hear this a lot from people who go, well, what do you do all winter? You know, because there's no boats in the water. We're not working (laughs) on them. So that's the time that we get to sharpen our skills and our equipment and Mm -hmm. things like that to be more effective the following year. And we'll identify through that last year how many people we turned down for a specific service um, Mm -hmm. or a product. And then we can determine, is this something we're ignoring? And should we be taking this on? And if we do, are we equipped? Do we have the facility, the staff, whatever to do it? Or what will we need to do to do add to it to do that? So it's every winter being able to identify, what are we going to do next year that's going to give us the next leap?
0: Wow, that's really neat. So it kind of forces you, you have that time, right? So it really gives you the opportunity to reflect, where lots of businesses, Excellent. they might not be able to see those opportunities because they're just in the whirlwind of, life and business huh. mm-hmm. that's interesting
1: yeah and, and i used to look at the spring and the fall that haul out and that launch as being monotonous and then i left ohio moved to florida for about three years and i managed what's called a dry storage marina there where we put boats in and out of the water for uh the customer there'd be 400 boats in the building and any given saturday we might move 100 boats in one day uh, put them in wow. everybody uses them and then they bring them back and we put it away And the interesting thing is when you're in, and I loved the pace of it and the area that I was in in Florida, I like the tropical environment, but what's interesting is when I, I did that for a few years and again, left my thumbprint on the place and moved back to Ohio. When I did that, it's interesting, the change in the perspective. Now I embraced haul out season because I knew that it gave me that winter to regroup and Mm. work on our next project and and take our facility to a new level. And after I left Florida and moved back to Ohio, that's when we purchased our first uh, marina, the Leesville Marina.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So you can really see the value of having that time just to reflect and prepare, Mm -hmm. make some changes. What led you to originally leave the marina that was up on Lake Erie and go down to Florida? What kind of, uh, yeah, brought that inside of you to go tell your manager, you know, after six
1: months, I'm done. The short version of the story is I fell in love.
0: Okay. Hey, that's great.
1: (laughs) So I had actually just resigned and I met my wife. And, you know, we dated for about a year and then got married and it was just the two of us initially. And she was an RN and she said, you know, if, I mean, it's just the two of us, we can do some neat adventures. I can travel. So I stepped out of the business for about a year and we traveled around and we moved to Houston for the winter. Mm And so it was nice and warm and we got to learn a little bit about Texas and had a great time while we were there. And then we moved to Boston, Massachusetts for the summer and she had a 6 month assignment there and we had a great time and it was neat because the schedule for newly married couple was i hardly was working uh, i had a little bit of online stuff that i was i was playing with but nothing significant but um she was 3 days on and 4 days off so i mean to hit the new england area with every week having 4 days off to travel around we got to see gosh you know massachusetts rhode island maine you know new hampshire and it was just it's if if you've ever spent time there it's a spectacular area so it was a lot of fun yeah, I've been um, but,
0: Maine, but yeah, never been able to spend time like that there.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was really a privilege. So and then my um my son was born and I needed to be responsible and, and get a job again. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. At the time I sent resumes all over the United States, and that's when we ended up moving to Florida. I got a phone call from a company that was just broke ground on a brand new marina in in uh Pompano Beach. So we moved down there and, and uh, it was just under construction. I mean, they just poured the concrete. And so I worked on the marketing of that. And then I was the general manager of that marina. So it was neat because of a brand new facility all the way to the palm trees, even the palm trees are brand new and all new equipment. And it was all my staff. I hired everybody and trained everybody from the ground up there. So that, what was, that was such a neat opportunity to be able to be the person to put that project together. Yeah. uh and turn it into something. So again, it was an empty building capable of about 350 boats inside and you know, I filled that place up. I got it to about 300 boats and and I loved it. I loved who I was working for, I loved who I was working with, I loved the area I lived in. And then my son was 3 years old and my wife started saying, "You know, he's 3 years old and he has 20 some first cousins and he doesn't know any of them. They're all in Ohio." Oh. So, and I
0: was it hard to leave that to move back for
1: family? It was a difficult decision on one side and an easy one on the other. So my wife is incredibly supportive of me. And the idea of moving to Florida in the first place, especially when we had a newborn, was, I'm sure, difficult for her because we would be going to an area that we didn't know anybody. And our whole support group of family, both of us come from big families, were all in Ohio. So I know that was difficult for her, but she honestly didn't blink. She knew that it was a good career move for me. She knew that I would love it. She knew that I always loved the tropical environment. So she was a hundred percent behind me, but uh, three years into it, it was obvious that my family would greatly benefit if we had moved back to Ohio. So I had, you know, my direct boss is is today, he's still a very good friend of mine and, and an incredible mentor. I've learned so much from him. It, that was hard telling him that we were leaving because I loved working for him in, in the area that I was, but he couldn't have been more supportive too. And he shared with me stories of difficult decisions he'd had to make in his past and that he respects me for that call. And again, you know, I put in a, a several month notice. I helped find the replacement for me and train the replacement for me. So again, he's still a good friend to this day and, and supported the move. And But what it came down to, and I think this is something really important that a lot of people are going to be faced with something like this, where you have a decision to make between your career and your family. And this gets to what I had, I had brought up when we first talked about doing this podcast. We're considering the stakeholders mm-hmm. in your career and in your life. But at that point, the decision came down. And, and Danielle handed the decision to me. She really said, listen, if we need to stay in Florida, I'm here 100% with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, at that point, that's when you decide you know, who you're really committed to. And it's important to recognize that your career is something that's fluid and can always be adjusted. But if you don't have this anchor in your family where you've made this commitment, you know, to to death do us part. If if you don't hang on to that anchor right there, then then where's your stability? What's Mm -hmm. your focus? So that's where the decision became very easy. It was it was time to move back to Ohio. And it's it's been fantastic for us. There's zero regrets. It was, it was definitely the right thing to do. And you know, we have two more kids now. So we have three kids and all of them have been offended significantly because we're around our family.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to reflect on. You know, who, who are you really committed to? And I think I bring up how your career is fluid, you can move it around. It's not like you had to choose between do I want a career or do I want a healthy family? It's like, you could move, right? That move wasn't something that was in the way of your career It was just part of it, right? It was on the way of, yeah, the business that you've had.
1: Hmm. Right. And your career, will be successful because you have a healthy family because yeah. of the investment you made in
0: your family. Mm, I like that a lot. Yeah. you will be successful because you have a healthy family. Yeah. That's really good. Now, uh, out of curiosity, do you feel like lots of people who are at the higher levels of the marinas, kind of like yourself, do lots of them have a similar story where they started out pumping gas at a marina? Or are there lots of people who just jump you know, right in at these upper levels?
1: I think there are similar stories out there. If I attend a conference, one of my favorite things at conferences are the roundtables where, mm-hmm. you know, I typically would like to hang around people that I know and that I, I know that I'll be comfortable with. But my first conference that I attended as a manager for a company I was working for, I remember the, my boss had told me to, um, he said, listen, we're spending a lot of money to send you to this conference. I don't want you to find the one person that you know and hang out with that person for the week. Yeah. I, in fact, I want you to do the opposite of that. I want you to sit at a different table every time you have lunch with different people that you haven't met. And I want you to pick brains and meet them and share information about us and vice versa. And you're going to get more out of that than maybe even the presentations. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I'm not necessarily comfortable doing, but because of that, I saw the benefit of it. So I make myself do it. Every time I attend a conference, I sit down at a table with people that I've, I've never met before and hear mm-hmm. their story. And in doing that, you find the ones that are similar and then you find you know, I've, I've met people like, like people will meet me in my early fifties and they'll go 35 years doing this, you know, because I'll meet people who are in their sixties or seventies Go, I've been doing it for about 10 years. So yeah. it was just a new career that they decided to do. Yeah. You know, all the customers comment to me. One of these days I want to do like you and, and own my own marina and sit back and, and just enjoy and watch it all happen, <laughs> which is not quite how that works, but yeah, a lot of work that goes into the backside of it. But, um. Yeah, I mean, I've met everything from I met somebody who was a physician that retired as a physician and and purchased a marina and oh. and operated it and and everything in between. And sometimes it's a third, fourth generation operator. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that part of your plan? Do you think this will be a business that passes down to your kids or is it hard to say that right now?
1: All of my kids, it will be available to them. Mm-hmm. to learn this business. I have a, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 14-year-old. All three of them have their boater safety license. A 14-year-old, <laughs> is he's legally allowed to operate a boat on our lake by himself. And he can, he does. We had one of our rental boats, had we had a customer that was have, struggling to operate it. And they were, I don't know, halfway across the lake. And they called and said they needed help. And at the time, we had had a couple staff call off that day, and we were short-handed, and I was not here. Mm-hmm. And so, my nine-year-old, my fourteen-year-old, jumped on a boat and went out and towed him in. And boy, wow. the, the look on their faces when a nine-year-old tossed a tow line <laughs> to them <laughs> and brought him back yeah. in. So it's it's a life that I'm sharing with them and showing them the technical side of it, and working the counter and things like that, whatever. And if they choose to to take it to another level someday, great. If they want to go in a completely different direction and work in something different, great. Mm-hmm. But I think the benefit of growing up in this environment on the water and knowing how to problem solve and work with customers and things like that is going to be beneficial to them regardless of what direction they'll go. I'll build it for them. They can choose to take it over to a a new direction, but if they want to do something different, that's fine with me too.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. So um, when you came back from Florida, is that when you got your marina or did you come back and work for somebody else for a little while before you got your first marina?
1: I left Florida... Uh, with barely a parachute, but just knowing that I had a solid enough of a resume that I knew I'd be able to do something. Yeah, I had looked at a local marina in this area prior to moving home from Florida. But my wife and I decided that, that wasn't the one. So we were open minded. I was interviewing too. Um a couple of places were interviewing me to be a GM. And then we just we kept in the process of looking and then we purchased our first marina in 2012, Leesville South Fork Marina. And mm-hmm. at the time we we really didn't have any ambition beyond that. We just thought, hey, this is a neat place. We'll raise our family here. My oldest, who's now 14, was three, just turning four. And so we thought it'd be neat. It was a quiet lake. But it was, it was a fairly rundown place. It wasn't really generating a lot of business. It was sort of a, in a forgotten about corner. To anybody who was a loyal customer, it was great for them because there was really nobody around. Um, yep. And that's what they liked about it. But it wasn't going to sustain itself at all. Mm -hmm. So we, we took it on. I was probably two or three years into it when I was really concerned it was never going to (laughs) go anywhere. And I thought it may have been a really bad decision. And then I thought, well, gosh, nobody's going to buy this place off of me unless I get it making money. So we're going to have to roll our sleeves up and really throw everything we have at it. It was, it was several years of a lot of really hard work. But Mm -hmm. so in 2012, we had bought this one and it, it took a while to get it up and running. In 2015, we had an opportunity that the Muskingum Watershed had purchased a marine on Seneca Lake and had put quite a bit of money into it, but they were unable to operate a service department, Mm -hmm. which is what my background is. So they reached out to me and said, would you consider leasing the service department operating it? Well, that's nearly a 400 horsepower limit lake. And I thought that would really help our boat sales business being able to to get into higher horsepower. So we took that one on. Mm -hmm. And when we did, that's when we established the brand Ohio Valley Boats. Ah, I see. Uh, so that was the start of the Ohio Valley Boats dealership. In mm-hmm. 2017, the other marina on Leesville Lake came available. And while I own Leesville South Fork Marina, the the second marina that came available, the Muskingum Watershed, purchased it and asked if I would operate it for them. And I said, I will lease it from you and operate my own business out of it. Mm-hmm. And so that worked out well. And that was our third location. So now we operate both the marinas on Leesville Lake and the campgrounds and the cabin rentals and, wow. and that. And then in 2018, they had, uh, Muskingum Watershed had purchased and taken over Tappan Marina and said, hey, listen, that whole Seneca thing worked out great. Let's do it again. Mm. And so we moved in at Tappan Marina with Ohio Valley Boats. So Ohio Valley Boats has three locations at Tappan, Seneca, and Leesville Lake as a boat dealership, sales and service. And then we have another side of our business. That's the resort side where it's camping, boat rental, docking, cabin rental, you know, ship store and restaurant, that kind of thing.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's really fun. Yeah, I feel like uh, as you talked about how people are just very friendly and happy when they're on their boat. I feel like when we go to campgrounds, it's that same environment, right? People are just happy. They're on vacation. They're down to earth people. And yeah, Hmm. that's really cool. Was it pretty stressful for you when you moved back from Florida and you were kind of in that process of looking for marinas, applying for jobs? Were you worried at the time or just have a lot of trust the right thing would come together soon? What was that like?
1: Sure. The unknown. I mean, I knew it was the right thing to do for my family. And I was confident that we were going to be able to do well eventually. But um, it wasn't a clear plan, only that my career has been good to me. And I knew that it would continue to. So it was just a matter of let's get home. Again, my wife is an RN. So at the time, you know, that was our backup plan was she was going to get a job as a nurse temporarily while Mm -hmm. I you know, search the field to see what my next move was going to be. So she, she did for the year. And until we ended up making this purchase and moving in to operate this Marina. And so, you know, this, this is, um, you know, gosh, a lot of people try to put a number on, um, you know, you need three years before you prove your business successful when you're an entrepreneur, that's like the number that seems to go out there. Like, Hey, expect to do poorly for two years, but that third year is going to do well. I will tell you it's seven. Mm -hmm. So from my experience, The first three years, uh, the toughest, that's for sure. And then we started to build some momentum. At that point, our marketing was starting to grow teeth, uh, Mm -hmm. and we could see some results from that. And then, interesting thing, 2000, so we bought it in 2012. In 2019, that was the year that we knew that everything that we had been doing was going to just explode for us. So we invested significantly in inventory and equipment and staff and marketing. And that was our our make it or break it year, where we knew this was going to be the leap to the next level. Well, in 2019, we had a tremendous amount of rain, like every mm-hmm. single day. And mm-hmm. our little lake, uh, Leesville Lake, flooded way beyond any level it's ever flooded before, to the point that the Army Corps of Engineers and the Muskingum Watershed decided to close the lake during 4th mm-hmm. of July. I mean, this was the... Wow. the yeah, this we had six weeks that this lake was shut down. Our six most important revenue driving weeks of the year, wow. and we were sitting on boat inventory, and nobody was renting from us. I mean, it just revenues stopped, and mm-hmm. so we muscled through it, and we kept our staff through the winter. And it was a lot of biting teeth to to get through that. And then we have our spring launch boat show every year, where we had our inventory from 2019 that didn't sell. And then we're taking on inventory in 2020 to add to that. And so now we're incredibly loaded up. And then we go into our spring boat show in March, where we typically will have 300 people in a day come through. We'll sell like a dozen or so boats. day before that show is the stay-at-home order for COVID, for anybody who remembers that. Oh, yeah. Uh So now we went from a, a year of flooding to all of a sudden just being shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. And another important launch to us, and it was the big question mark over everybody's head. What does this mean now? And that was I. I spent a lot of time sitting in my office, just deep in thought on where do we go from here. You know, that's that thing when you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur and and your business is not doing so well. You go, is this where you pull the plug for the good of mm-hmm. everybody involved, or is this where you take yet another risk that could badly or affect well everybody involved? And all of a sudden, I don't know what exact moment that it came to me, but it hit me. And I remember my wife walking in with a cup of coffee to hand it to me. And she said, are you okay? And I said, mm-hmm. it just hit me that in a difficult time like this with a company like this, if I was an absentee owner and I was on the hunt for somebody, the right person for this job, I just realized that my resume is the one that I would want coming across that desk. Wow. And if there's somebody that's going to pull this off, it's it's going to be me. And I've got a lot of people counting on me, uh, my staff, my family, their families, the boaters in this community, whatever. And that was the pivotal moment for me, where we decided it's the ship is not going down. We're going to keep mm-hmm. this one up. And you know, fortunately, my gosh, by the grace of God. And th- th- as far as COVID goes, it was tumultuous for everybody. But all of a sudden, we found out that it was actually the most incredible marketing campaign that anything outdoors <laughs> could ever see. Yeah. So it flipped like a light switch from there and we were staffed equipped and had inventory to be able to, to take advantage of it. And, and wow. we put a lot of people on the water that year. Hmm. And that yeah, was our big We had two absolutely dynamite years that, that made this whole thing make sense. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's pretty neat. Yeah. It's like in moments like those, you really see the difference from like owning the business versus being the person who manages somebody else's like you had done in the past. Right. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. You've got your own skin in the game and those decisions make a big difference to you and a lot of other people. It's yeah. What do you feel like are some of the big things you've learned about yourself through
1: kind of your journey with entrepreneurship? I think I'm surprised at maybe a handful of things at, um, I, I think a funny thing to learn as you go along in life. I've, I've said this when, um, I remember when I was a teenager and I knew everything and then, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not long after that when I realized I knew very little. And okay. I say this to my kids a lot where the older I get and the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, And this can go all the way back to the decision whether or not to even go to college where that's a question where is college necessary or are you better off doing something else? And I think it depends on the person involved. Education is incredibly necessary all the time in whatever mm-hmm. form that you deem helps you to develop in the direction that you want to go. So the decision not to go to college wasn't me avoiding something. It was, I saw the the opportunity for me and what I wanted to do in a different direction. But I'm just, I'm a fan of constant education in, in whatever mm-hmm. form that is. So I don't know, it's, yeah. it's, it's your question and what I've what I've learned about myself. I've learned, I think I was surprised at How much pressure I can handle? Hmm. That's. I think my wife says it some this way. She said, "What kind of juice do you make when you're squeezed? You know, when you crush a lemon, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, you crush an orange. What does it turn into? So, it's that. It's that never giving up thing. Yeah, um, I think is it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I read. I don't remember exactly how this quote went. It was something that Tony Robbins said. It was like the level of your success. Is dependent on how much uncertainty you can deal with. And it's like, yeah, when you're under pressure of like that, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. COVID started, nobody knew what was going on. And it's like, hey, you can give up or you can, you know, have your best couple of years after. It's uh sure. yeah. I really like what you said there about college. I think that's a good thing. It's like college isn't always the right route for everybody, but regardless, educating yourself, like that's a key thing that everybody needs, mm-hmm. whether college is the right avenue or if it's you know, working in a machine shop and getting educated just with a more hands-on experience. It's just very right. important. What type of advice would you give to somebody who's just getting started in their career right now?
1: Well, I mean, we can, we can hear this. where expect that you're going to fail from time to time, but it's not a failure as long as you learn from it. I wish I can remember who it was that said, um, I didn't fail a hundred times. I learned a hundred times what not to do. So that's an important thing. I think making sure, too, that you're recognizing, you know, the people around you that are going to be impacted by you. So it's, it's easy to quantify when you're building a career. It's easy to quantify. When you look at your resume, you can see your successes. You can identify those on your resume. You can also look at your investments or your savings account or whatever and quantify that. If that number continues to grow, okay, I'm doing well. When you get your paycheck, is it bigger than the last paycheck was? You know, those are, those are numbers that are easy to quantify. But something I don't think we spend enough time quantifying is what our career allows us to be or do in our personal life, you know, in, in the time that we spend with family or friends or, you know, people who influence us or people that we may influence in mm-hmm. our life. And I think somebody just starting out, I think it's important to um, see those things. You know, the people around you that you learn from and the people around you that are going to learn from you and continue to be this feed that filters from your mentors to your, to your proteges, you know, to keep, to keep that flow going. It's funny because I think about my mentors in my life sometimes and how, how can I best give back to them? How can I show Mm -hmm. them how much I appreciate what a gift they've been to me and it have influenced me and I can't. There's nothing that I can give them that they haven't already experienced or achieved or whatever on their own. The best thing that I can do for them is to share anything that I've learned with another generation and, and, and mentor that person along. It's Mm -hmm. to pay it forward.
0: I really like that. Yeah. Best way to give back to your mentors. Just continue to mentor other people. Right? Exactly. Passing those along. I like it. Well, uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you to learn more about your business and things you guys have going on?
1: Well, our website is ohiovalleyboats.com. We have another website for our marinas; it's leesvillelake.com, and both are accessible between each other. And yeah, that's that's the best way to find okay. us is is there and and stop and see our places. I mean, it's our Leesville marinas are fascinating to me. I mean, I it's funny when I was. Considering moving back to Ohio, and I looked at a marina in this area, it's a very rural environment. I flew home from Florida, and I pulled into this marina to take a look at it. And the first thing I see is an Amish horse and buggy launching a 14-foot fishing boat with with wagon wheels on the trailer.
0: Wow. A a horse and buggy launching a boat.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was, huh. and I was in awe. <laughs> huh. So I watched this all happen and um, he physically disconnected the trailer and walked it down the ramp with the boat on it with wagon wheels on the trailer. It was just, it was such a sight to see and it, and it probably had a retail value of about $500. And the next day <laughs> i fly back to Florida huh. and I go to work and the first boat that I sign up for uh, storage in our facility that next day was a two and a half million dollar two-man submarine. Wow, And I didn't even know they existed, but the two worlds that I experienced in 24 hours, but both of them equally as important, like to the person that owned that submarine and needed to be able to get, you know, 50 feet down without getting wet, to be able to see (laughs) something Mm -hmm. under the water and the the guy launching the fishing boat, walking it down the ramp. I mean, both of them just, that's their opportunity to disconnect from the world and and regroup and enjoy the, the, you know, the environment.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it sounds like really fun places. I, I've been to Tappan Lake before. I know that's a beautiful place and uh, campgrounds are always fun. So yeah, awesome. I'll put those in the show notes. And really, Keith, I, I really appreciate you coming on here today and sharing your story. It's it's inspiring. It's awesome to hear and a lot of really good lessons that you shared with us. So thanks for taking the time to do this.
1: Thanks, Jason. It was a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you. I will uh, talk to you later. Take care. Bye.